It's chaos. It's a different type of Sunday scary. It's your newest obsession. It's Dirty Driving, a Formula One podcast. We're the Hornsby sisters. I'm Katie. And I'm Megan. Hello. Welcome back. That's the creepiest welcome back I've ever said. I didn't love that. But to another episode of Dirty Driving. (laughs) This time we are just full sending it into the French Grand Prix, where we saw some drivers, unfortunately, full send it into a wall. Had to say it. Had to say it. Had to just get it out there right off the top. I'm also send, full sending it into a, like a very different look this time, so I'm very like stressed about yeah. this. If you're listening and not watching on YouTube, which you can do, Megan is wearing a Red Bull shirt, and when she got the package and opened it in front of me and she pulled out a Red Bull shirt, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I'm the I Red Bull am- stan in the family. Look, I needed a Red Bull shirt because... While I do fully believe that they are, like, the the dark side of racing. You know, like, they're, like, the dark empire, the evil empire. Abyss. Yeah. I do really love Checo, and I have to support that man. I, while this weekend didn't really show all that Checo has to offer, I do love Checo as a racer, and I want to support him So, and I don't love the Checo merch. So I was like, look, let me find the least obnoxious, obnoxious Red Bull racing shirt. And here we have it. I'm wearing it because look, Max won. And so I felt like it was time to support. I don't know. This is really difficult for me. I'm like, I don't even know what to say. She's out here wearing a Red Bull shirt and she's saying that she is out here supporting them. Okay, I'm, I'm out here away. supporting Checo, Checo. and I'm right. respecting Max Verstappen. All right, we will take it. We will take it. It's We're a great trying. look. You look great. It's and Navy, I'm looks, not into Navy. Yeah, well, it's fine. You look great. <laughs> She's in a Red Bull shirt, everybody. Let's just say thank you. <laughs> We're moving in the right direction, goddammit. <laughs> But speaking of looks, there were some looks this weekend. Some and phenomenal we're gonna go with looks. The, we need to point out that we're saying looks as like L-E-W-K-S because Lukes. that bucket hat was a Luke. Was a Luke. And my favorite part about this weekend was the scanning of the crowd. And so there'd be like circuit Paul Ricard hats bucket hats everywhere and then the best was on Friday they scanned to like a woman in like a crocheted bucket hat and I was like you've got to be sweating that's not it wait my first thought was your head is so sweaty right now yeah I mean a baseball hat makes your hats your head sweaty so a crocheted hat on a what was in Fahrenheit Megan it was like 97. 97 at one point. I looked at the French. Uh, I looked at Le Casale's temperatures on Friday and I was like, it was right after I saw the woman in the crocheted hat. I was like, she's got to be sweating. Like her head is dripping. 
even looking at her when I was in my air conditioning required me to like drip some sweat. So I was like the woman in the crocheted hat sweating. I love her commitment. I also love that she was like, fuck the new merch. Let me bring out my handmade merch. (laughs) It was not Formula One themed and the flowers on it, but it was great. Here's the biggest problem, though. I want a Paul Ricard bucket hat and I can't have one. Why not? I guess I could maybe fi- try to find one on eBay. Let me. You can order them. I looked. She's Why done. Didn't you send me episode. The episode, episode complete. I, Thanks, episode everybody. complete. So glad we could be here. Join us next week for the Hungarian Grand Prix. Katie will now spend the next hour and a half looking for her circuit Paul Ricard bucket hat. And if you don't know what we're talking about, then you need to figure it out. You need to watch. Because clearly watch. you didn't watch. And even if you didn't watch, if you're not if following, you, yeah, if you're not following Valtteri on Instagram, then like, like who how are you? I'm sorry. First off, if you're not following Valtteri boat ass, boat then you're missing. Then you are missing some great ass pictures, but you're also missing like the newest like fashion icon and also cycling legend. I'm convinced that when he retires, he's gonna go like win the Tour de France. Convinced. I said that the other day when I was absolutely obliterated and the intern was like, what? (laughs) What? Like he was baffled that I was thinking that far ahead. She's literally, I would like to point out to everyone that she is currently looking for the Paul Ricard bucket hat. I'm, I'm ordering it. Focus. 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 We can do that after. I can do that while you're talking. Um. (laughs) Shut up and listen to the words I say. Okay. You're right. You're right. You're right. Um, okay. Okay. Before Let's we get, get into, into this it. weekend, there are two integral things that we need to talk about. First off, Katie, I saw a TikTok. And every story that begins with Katie, I saw a TikTok is going somewhere not great. Not great. Did you see the TikTok of Daniel Ricardo? <laughs> McLaren posted it of him trying to make pancakes and he puts the pancake batter on the burner like he doesn't put it into a pan and everyone is I'm like laughing through explaining this I'm so sorry to everyone but if you watch the video you will understand why I can't stop laughing he literally there is a burner he, he's whipping up the batter right and then he goes to put the pancake batter directly on the burner no pan no pan the man is clearly unaware of how to cook. And um, I did see it. I did see it. And uh, he immediately gets yelled at. And then the clip, the cut, the editing of the TikTok is phenomenal. Shout out McLaren admin because it's like, he's like this, like mouth wide <laughs> open. Like, I know I'm in trouble. Eyes wide. Like, he knows and he messed like, up. He knows immediately that he's like, oh, and Lando's like, you're an idiot. <laughs> okay, first off, Lando doesn't even know that you need to have a pan. <laughs> that gets out here just eating ice lollies all the time. He stays living on the ice lollies. Stays. What was the, the second? second the second and most important thing that we need to talk about today is I have a new nightmare sound. Like, there are sounds in life that will haunt your nightmares for the rest of your life. And the French Grand Prix has served the sound that will haunt all nightmares and should be used in any horror movie upcoming. It is Charles Leclerc screaming, no, on the radio. Wait, 
I have something to share, and I'm gonna play the okay. audio right now. Here she goes. I'm going to play the audio for all of you. I hope you can all hear it. If not, I'll clip it in later. (laughs) Yeah. Can that be my ringtone? That would be. <laughs> We're making it to a ringtone. It's a right. ringtone now. It's a ringtone, everybody. No. I'd like to point I... out that I'm asking for it to be a ringtone, and I never have my volume on. Hands down, I don't think my phone is legitimately ring out loud and not on vibrate in four years. My <laughs> sound is on all the time. I'm that person. Sorry, everybody. Awful. Click click. That click, is click click clack. That's me. That is the great up ma- the greatest mashup that never needed to be a mashup ever. But also that sound of him screaming on the radio has given me nightmares. I had literal nightmares last night and that included Charles Leclerc screaming. Okay, I have something to say as well. I have one thing that <laughs> I texted you about, but we need to say it. I need to say it out loud for everybody to hear because we're gonna do a poll on the Instagram. Okay. I, I was watching. I was watching. Yep, we are. I was watching the race with someone who's never watched a race before. So they don't know what every- who everybody looks like. Megan oh, knows no, exactly what, what I'm about to say. I know no, I is. have to say it. I have to say it because we have to do a poll because I don't know if I believe it. Like, I don't know if I see it. So, like, whatever. I'm just going to say it. Does George Russell look like a vampire? he looks like an english prep boy he doesn't look like a vampire i think he's giving some stefan and damon energy i i kind of see it like his eyes are a little sullen he's kind of pale he sparkles in the sun i'm sorry if anybody is giving like a vampire like sexy vampire vibes it's toto wolf oh now that i don't know if they saw toto Okay, so here we need to have. Okay, Let's do the a side by side. Now ex- the who would be more likely expanded. to be a vampire? The poll is now becoming a side by side situation here. Side by side, more of a vampire, Toto who Wolf or George vampire. Russell. It's it's Toto. It's Toto. It's the dark hair. She's got a ringer on. She's got a ringer on. Imagine ringer if on. that was. Imagine if Charles Leclerc. Someone just texted her, and Charles Leclerc just screamed, "No!" no! <laughs> I might change okay, it doing to that. It. Iconic. I Iconic. I feel and like I, I will... need to set that for anybody I don't want to answer their text messages or phone no! calls. Just like Charles Leclerc screaming. Oh, that's good. That's good. I love it. I love all it. Right. I'm here for it. Okay. So I think we this got is all the bullshit. The... We got yeah. all the random bullshit I had to say about this weekend. There's probably a shit ton more random bullshit that I'm going to pop out and mention. Um, specifically, we are going to talk about this. So stay tuned. We need to discuss the George Russell trend. And I, I have decided mm-hmm. that I have the ultimate one. And it happened this weekend that really showed that George Russell is the type of guy. He is the type of guy who is not a vampire. But he is the type of guy. He might so not say, so, be a vampire. He might just look like a vampire. He doesn't look like a vampire. Okay, everyone is entitled to their own opinion. 
who that's the next okay so the poll is expanding even more so toto or george but more importantly i think realistically i want to crowdsource who do you think would be a vampire that would be on the grid Mm. like of all of them who dude esteban I don't know if I've okay. ever read a book about French vampires. What? That's a lie. Discovery of That's witches. A, yeah, like what? Sorry, I don't know. I just like forgot all of my vampire knowledge. Is Dracula gonna... French? No, he's from Transylvania. <laughs> I'm disappointed in myself for that one. And let's move on. Okay, so the circuit history. <laughs> <laughs> That segue was rough, but we're going for it. Let's hear it. All right. I'm going to butcher a couple names, too. So, Megan, correct me if you'd like. But work began on the track in 1969 with two French racers who acted as consultants. One was Jean-Pierre Bellatois and Henri Pescarolo. It opened on April 19th, 1970, and became the circuit, the facilities made it one of the safest racing circuits in the world at the time of opening. The first GP was held the following year, 1971, and Jackie Stewart won for Tyrell. And the track itself uh, is built on a plateau. And if you don't know what a plateau is, it's an elevated flat area of land. Yes, I did look that up to verify the definition. But she it's didn't got, do well in uh, – she really struggled no. in seventh grade geography. I actually did great in seventh grade geography. I can literally visualize the picture from. But you had to look up what a plateau the book. was. No, I know what a plateau is, but someone asked what a plateau was. So I gave them the correct definition. So I looked up the proper definition. Now we're on another spiral downward that we don't need to talk about. I knew what a plateau was. Plateau. Plateau. And, and we're done. Proven, All right. Track characteristics. Yikes. Okay, so it's got even distribution of high, medium, and low-speed corners. And it's often used as a test circuit due to mild winters. It's got a long straight with elongated track design, and it is known for all of the fancy lines. The black and blue runoffs are the blue zones, and the red and black runoffs are called the red zones. And they're painted sections that offer grip to slow down the cars if they go off the track. This is the first year of the French Grand Prix where there was massive, like, uproar about how the drivers don't get lost. And it's the first time I've looked at it from above and fully put together that if I was driving there, I would get lost. Like, I'm surprised they didn't put, like, some cones up. <laughs> well, they have, like, the bollards that, you know, like, yeah. direct you. Like, if you go offline, like, you have to go around this bollard and all the way to that section – they have that on track, but really looking at the track from above, the question truthfully is like, how does someone like Danny Ricardo, who doesn't know to put the pancake batter in a pan, not get lost? Or like, how does our proper Muppet Lando Norris not get lost? I guess they just, yeah. I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. Pierre got a little lost at one time. You know, he went through the bollards, but you know, that's... <laughs> I can That's mention that later. For you. <laughs> it's his own home Grand Prix, too. You should know that track. He should know it. There are 247 track variations. So I you're mean, right. It makes sense. Yeah. 
If I had my scientific calculator, I could figure out the probability of that, but I can't do that math. And also, I don't even know if I think I would know how to do that with the calculator. Okay, whatever. <laughs> Moving on. And, wow, I'm really showing all my cards tonight. I apologize, everybody. <laughs> and in 2020, the circuit received a three-star FIA accredi accreditation as a sustainable circuit. And I believe it's the second most sustainable sec circuit behind it's tied it's tied, tied with, with Barcelona. oh no it's behind. tied with barcelona and it's behind Magello. okay which i think is an interesting accreditation that's something that i i do love the concept of having the circuits themselves like we talk a lot about the teams we talk a lot about the cars we talk a lot about the whole enterprise of f1 being sustainable but i think a part of that we don't talk about being sustainable are the actual circuits themselves because, I mean, when you think about, I mean, we just were in Canada, but when you think about being at a circuit and the amount of people that are there, the amount of, like, food, waste, infrastructure, the amount of, like, cars and transportation needed for the circuit just to allow the circuit to function, it's interesting that there is a way to actually quantify if tracks themselves are doing everything they can to be sustainable, eco-friendly, whatever term you want to use there. So I think it's an interesting accreditation that's not talked about enough, I guess is kind of the point I was trying to make. Yeah, I'd be interested to see the ranking of all of the tracks in order from most sustainable to least sustainable and then also dig deeper into figuring out how the – tracks that are on the lower end what they're doing to improve their sustainability measures and if they're being required to do so i'd love to see where the u.s tracks rank because the united states like in certain areas of the united states are just not known for being particularly sustainable so it'd be interesting to see how they compare as as an american that is like in an area of the country now that at sometimes is not always good about like certain sustainability Recycling. measures yeah 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 okay so let's dig into the french grand prix specifically so the french grand prix has actually been hosted at six other circuits over its 62 years of being a part of f1 the championship it's been around much longer than that pre-championship years but um we kind of use the fact that this is like the 62nd official french grand prix in 1991, the French Grand Prix actually moved from La Casselet, which is where the circuit is now, to Magnacors, um, where it was the sole track that was used until 2008. So from 91 to 2008, it was hosted at a different circuit. And Michael Schumacher is the most successful driver at the French Grand Prix, but he has all eight of his wins at Magnacors. He does not have a single win at Paul Ricard. Um Michael Schumacher won in 94, great year, 95 for Bennington. And then for Ferrari, he won in 97, 98, 2001, 2002, 2004, and 2006. So 2008, they leave that circuit. And the French Grand Prix wasn't on the calendar from 2009 to 2017 due to financial complications. The official, the official wording is that it was due to four finance poor finances and I feel like that makes them sound awful so I'm like financial difficulty sounds a little bit better but it returned to the calendar in 2018 after that 10-year absence 
And a lot of people were excited because it's kind of known for being one of the more solid overtaking places and a place that you get to see some kind of good overtakes, great racing. Um, But it also was known for that iconic kind of blue and red. And it has a massive following. Like it is known for having good fans, solid attendance, and everyone being very excited. We also have... Renault, who didn't have a home race, and now they did when it returned in 2017. More importantly, we go on to give some just like kind of interesting stats that I've pulled over the last couple of days. So Alan Prost won four times at Paul Ricard, but he has actually won the French Grand Prix six times in total. So he's one of those drivers that got to win in front of his home crowd, which we always know is iconic. Today or Going into this, I can't say today, like I want to say that so many times, but going into this race weekend, we had three drivers who had previously won that were still on the grid. So we have Alonso who won in 2005 for Renault. We have Hamilton who won in 18 and 19. And then we have Max Verstappen who actually won last year. We now know that back-to-back wins for Maxikins. That's my new nickname for him. I've decided Maxikins. Maxikins. That's cute. Maybe it makes me want to wear Red Bull clothing more now that I determined it's his nickname. I don't know. Ferrari are the most successful team at the French Grand Prix, but they haven't won, or they hadn't won, and they still haven't won since they returned to the circuit in 2018. A big thing to note going into this weekend, and something that was much highly debated, highly talked about, highly discussed, had much controversy kind of surrounding it was the fact that this was Hamilton's 300th start in Formula One. And a lot of people had predicted that maybe this would be a Mercedes weekend where Hamilton would finally win his race this year because Hamilton has never had a year or a season without winning a Grand Prix. So we know it's going to happen. No doubt in my mind, Lewis Hamilton will win a Grand Prix this year. But what's interesting is not only is Hamilton the sixth driver to get his 300th Grand Prix start, there is not a driver in those six that has won a race after his 300th Grand Prix. So if Lewis was to win, like, this coming up weekend, maybe, then it would be a pretty big milestone and he would be, like, one of, he would be the first driver to win after their hundredth or 300th Grand Prix start. He was actually asked about whether or not he was going to be racing at 400 Grand Prix starts and... I mean, that would be, like, four more years. Do we think it's going to happen, Katie? No. He was, like, eyes wide in the pressies when they asked that. I don't think – I don't know. Never say never, but I'm I'm not sure we're going to have him. She just quoted Justin Bieber, who is a fan and a friend of Lewis. Never say never. I don't know the beat of that song, so that's fine. Never say never. I don't think that's the beat either. I don't think that's it. That would be an interesting concept. Lewis has – always continued to go about questions that are that touch on his future by saying like he's really just like living in the moment living in the process right now and you know in the future they'll have talks I don't see him racing four years from now I think by then he will fully have moved on to something I wouldn't say bigger and better but maybe like larger in terms of like global significance another big moment to note is that Aston Martin celebrated their a hundred years since entering the 1922 French Grand Prix. And he's 
our hidden gem will deep dive into how Aston Martin celebrated, but it is kind of a massive moment to note that Aston Martin has now been a part of Formula One or had is celebrating their hundred years. They weren't like continuously a part of it, but it's kind of a cool celebration, and I think they celebrated in the right way. Yeah, they did. I, I I'm mean, excited for you to talk about it later. But also. The fact that Sebastian Vettel wore wore that 1920s getup when it was like 32 degrees Celsius and like 90 plus proves to me that you can, in fact, wear jeans in the summer. Did you see that uh, one of the like engineers or Aston Martin team members tied the tie for him? Did you see that clip? Yes. I did love that. I really, I really do love that. And I think what I love so much about it as I'm putting chapstick on because I can't talk anymore because I've had two drinks before this um, was that anytime Sebastian Vettel does something I mean we're jumping ahead but anytime Sebastian Vettel does something like this it's more than just hi I'm going to go out there and drive a cool car it's significant it's meaningful it's purposeful and he does it in the the best way possible making sure that it's not taking away from the team, but is in fact elevating the team and showcasing how like everyone in the team really does work for these moments. The fact that it was, you know, like having that moment photo ending up out there it means something. It, it, it's significant in the fact that he wants to show that everyone around him that helps him is important. I don't know. I, I don't know if that's maybe a jump, but I feel like that is kind of a meaningful moment. Get a little misdeed. Megan getting misty. Megan getting misty and wearing a Red Bull shirt. The episode's over. We can all go home. Have we changed roles? We might have. Is this like Freaky Friday? This episode is literally Freaky Friday, so you need to hype up Mercedes as much as possible. (laughs) Deal. Welcome to the Freaky Friday episode. You know what? I feel like this is so on brand because I have been brainstorming. I never talk about this, but I brainstorm the name of these episodes essentially from the minute the weekend begins to when we put out the episode, I think about the title. And this one is titled, I think it would have been a good race because it was something that a Red Bull Max Verstappen's engineer said to Max He's like, it's alternate reality or it could have been a good race. So maybe it's our alternate reality Freaky Friday moment. We're in the multiverse. Moving on. Okay, let's talk (laughs) about... I'm out. Don't get it. Moving on. Let's talk about Friday. Friday was dominated. I want to say dominated by this like battle between Ferrari and Red Bull in terms of like who we thought was going to be faster going into the weekend. It felt like it flip-flopped quite a few times, but ultimately an FP1 Charles Leclerc went fastest and then an FP2 Carlos Sainz went fastest, but Max Verstappen was close to both of them in terms of pace, and ultimately Ferrari had the pace in sectors one and three where Red Bull was really dominating sector two. It was that straight line speed down the Mistral straight that is, you know, how you can easily identify the French layout if you see it. It's that straight in the chicane. 
that is where Red Bull was getting its pace. Lewis Hamilton was very clear. He was like, look, I was behind Max on that straight, and I had my foot to the floor full throttle, sending it full beans, and Max was just like, and beyond, gone. So Red Bull just had that straight line speed. That was something that was never in question going into the weekend, but what was in question is if Ferrari was going to be able to hold them off in sectors one and three. We're going to talk about whether or not they thought that was going to happen. Important to note in FP1, as part of the Young Driver sessions, which we talked about a little bit this this season, um, we had Nick DeVeers, who replaced Lewis Hamilton for FP1. It was his second FP1 outing as he took the wheel for Alex Albon at the Spanish Grand Prix in May. He also, so Nick DeVeers is a Mercedes reserve driver. He also tested the Mercedes machinery in last year's postseason Abu Dhabi Grand Prix tests. What's interesting about the Mercedes announcement of them doing this is that they hinted that both drivers, Lewis and George, were allowed to pick which sessions they were giving up for their reserve drivers. So we know that Lewis Hamilton chose this one to give to Nick DeVeers, and we know that in the future race that George Russell has picked, he will be giving up an FP1 session to another driver, uh, to a young driver as well. In that same session, we had Robert Kubica, who replaced Valtteri Bottas for FP1. He had previously replaced Zhao, I also think, at Barcelona, if I'm remembering that correctly. In FP1, we did get the we did start hearing about the science penalties that we would know that would would go from a 10-place grid penalty because in FP1, the big discussion was about the fact that he had just fitted a new set of control along control electronics it was his third set they're only allowed or allocated to use two in a year and that gave him a 10 place grid penalty eventually we would come to find out that he would have a full grid place penalty and he'd be back starting at the back but the second most important part about fp1 is that we had the rumblings the rumblings the beginning of the conversation about track limits which has just flowed from austria to france it's just come across to the border And whether or not it was going to be as egregious this weekend as it was because there were 43 violations last weekend or not, and more importantly, how the stewards were going to full stop apply it. It's important to note, and I'm going to say it here before we talk about it later, that if four tires, all four tires are over the white line, then the lap time would be deleted, whether it was in the inside or the outside. Mick Schumacher would be hot on the apex of turn three. So that would be the inside of turn three. All four tires were too far off track. The whole point of track limits is essentially part of one of your tires needs to remain on the track at all time. I fully understand and many drivers have explained why it's hard and why it's easy to violate track limits because they are sitting low. They're not like able to see as directly as we are from the camera. And we're talking millimeters or centimeters as they're going like 150 kph. So can't yeah. actually fall I mean, for it. We see how close they get to the walls. So at least when there's no walls, I don't constantly fear one of them going straight into the wall. I mean, clearly that's incorrect because I should have feared it this weekend. So let's get to FP2. Yeah, I'm just digging the knife into the Charles yeah. Leclerc. Like, I'm She's so like mad. She's, like, literally just standing in his grave. I, I mean, there's a reason I'm not wearing a Ferrari shirt today. I'm pissed. Moving on, FP2. Carlos Sainz went fastest. Important things to note here. Mick Schumacher spun into turn 11, and this was a good – this 
incident, while I was upset for Mick Schumacher, it was a good visual of how the blue and the red zones work. And it was a great visual by the cameraman of how what happened with his spin into the blue zones affected his tires because they immediately, once he got out, showed the degradation on the tires, the like total graining. They're, they're done. They're shredded um, as a result of going offline there. And so the green or green, what the fuck? The blue zones are high grip, high degradation, and the red are extreme grip and extreme degradation um, or like they'll rip your apart. The whole point of them is to slow them down. Also, this is where we kind of got the the icing on the cake, the the cherry on top that showed that the Red Bull pace was going to be quicker than the Ferraris in the straight. And now that was going to affect them for the rest of the weekend. Come Saturday morning, we have FP3 and look who's topping the charts there. It's Max Verstappen. And this is where I said I might have to break out the Red Bull shirt. It's going to be a Max weekend. I, I believed it. But beyond that, Katie, and this is where I need to pause from talking about the race, there was an entire moment where Pierre Gasly was shown in the garage opening a Red Bull fridge and taking a Red Bull can out. I would like you to now guess how many times you think I watched said clip to see if there was a line that said that it was water or if he was going to even like indicate that it was water and not Red Bull. You want to take a guess at how many times I watched that clip? Twelve. 14. Oh, that's close. I concluded nothing. It nothing has was to be concluded. Water. It has to be water. I'm going to DM Pierre Gasly right now and ask. He'll respond. Please do Red it. Bull won't. Please respond. Please DM Pierre Gasly. Because um, I'll be honest, I hate to admit this as I love Formula One and I love practice. That was what I, that was the full focus of that practice session. And moving on to qualies. <laughs> now that I've just admitted that on air. So qualifying this weekend for me was this like intense battle between who was going to take pole position. Was it going to be Max Verstappen? Was it going to be Charles Leclerc? We knew at this point that Carlos Sainz had those grid penalties. So I pretty much assumed that he wasn't going to participate in F in Q2 or Q3. I thought he was going to run once in Q2 and be done, not set a representative time. And then it would be truly a, a shootout between Verstappen and Leclerc. That didn't happen and now we're going to break it down here in a second but before we do that i want to add a slight side note here just like a tangent for my boy checko um gotta bring him up even though this weekend just felt like an off weekend for him he had a rough friday he was p6 and p10 in the times he just really couldn't find the pace or performance would ultimately end up not giving me what i thought checko should have given me this weekend i don't know if something was going on with the car i just it might have been an off weekend for him, but I wanted to note that, like I had mentioned here, Verstappen, Leclerc, and Science. The reason I wanted to include Perez is because there's this like Red Bull Ferrari battle this year, and so he just really wasn't a factor in kind of how I viewed qualifying. So, like I said, I thought that this was going to be the the battle of was it going to be Verstappen or Leclerc? Q one, look. Q1 happened, and I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Of course Magnuson and Sainz have penalties. They have pace. They're – what? What? Look, I'd also like to point out before we deep dive into this that both – even though Magnuson and Sainz had penalties, and we're going to start from the back of the grid regardless, both Magnuson and Sainz had to put up a lap in qualifying to qualify for the race. So that's why they have to participate full stop. 
beyond Q1, they really don't need to run the cars at all. They could have gone out there, put a like a, a a lap in in Q2 and been done and been like, mm, we're good to go. They couldn't, they didn't even have to do that. They just have to put up a time in Q1. Ultimately, they don't do that, which was a massive shock for me. Truthfully, I didn't see that happening. I didn't expect them to, to even try to go to Q3. But we're still in Q1. I'm getting ahead of myself. So Q1, we have Zhao and Albon making mistakes. Albon goes for a spin, but he ends up still having a solid time. That allows him to get out of it. It was impressive, but he got lucky on that. Thanks to Mick Schumacher violating track limits. So Schumacher and Vettel were improving on their last flying lap. And let me tell you, I was screaming. I was like, Mick, let's do it. Let's get out. Let's put up a great time. We were waiting to see what happened. Both of them improve. Schumacher is great. He's in P10. I was like, sweet. Schumacher's in Q2. Could, could he make it to Q3? Is Magnuson going to participate in Q2 to get him the toe to get into Q3? And crushing next thing you know he has a lap time deleted due to cutting the apex on turn three so Albon makes it through barely and I was devastated utterly devastated Vettel makes it into Q2 which is great considering it was the first time an Aston Martin was in Q2 since Baku which feels like an eternity and a half ago it wasn't really that long ago though next Magnuson did absolutely fabulously he had one flying lap in the session and he goes P6. I was like, shit, dude, maybe you shouldn't have a penalty. This is impressive, but he has a penalty. It was most likely due to the fact that they had a low drag setup. It probably wasn't due to the new Ferrari engine, considering both of the Ferraris were still massively outpacing him, including Carlos Sainz. Ricardo, I mean, he makes it through barely. That man just disappoints me in qualifying. So we move on. That's where I'm going to end with Q1. Then in Q2, we had Magnuson still out on used tires, and he still manages to put it into P5. I'm sorry. New engine, old tires, puts it into P5. He had fabulous pace. He was doing better than Fernando Alonso, who was on new tires. We have Carlos Sainz, who went fast. He took the top spot in the middle of qualifying, which is wild, because he really truthfully didn't think he was going to put up a fast time at all. He was 0.9 faster than Verstappen at one point. I was like, shit, that engine's going to, he's going to move through the pack on Sunday. But unfortunately, upsetty spaghetti we all were because out went Ricardo, Ocon, Botas, Vettel, and Albon. So Esteban Ocon was out and continued his dismal streak of not getting into Q3 at his home race. Ultimately, Q3 saw no French drivers, but their only hope was Fernando Alonso, who put the Alpine with the Renault power unit into the final session. So it wasn't a total blowout for the French crowd. They had something to cheer for on Saturday. Leclerc grabbed provisional pole position due to a toe from Sainz. It wasn't a perfect lap. It wasn't a perfect toe, but it put him in a position that was going to allow him to fight with Verstappen. Ferrari threw the entire kitchen sink. To make it sure for to make it possible for Leclerc to be fast this weekend in qualifying, with four minutes left, Verstappen was still sitting eight thousand point zero zero eight, so eight thousands behind Leclerc. Wow, that math really hurt my brain right there. But he was close, so close. He was in the hunt. So we have another toe for Leclerc, thanks to Science, who damn. They really used him well. I would I would like to point out Ferrari had some strategy in qualifying. I just don't know what happened on Sunday. But Ferrari did everything they could to solidify that pole position. And they made it happen. 
Charles, wow, Carlos, no, Charles Leclerc, Jesus, improved to be the first car to make it into the 130s this weekend. Verstappen improved, but not enough. And then Norris split the Mercedes. Hamilton outqualified his teammates, and ultimately on pole position was Charles Leclerc, who was the slower of the two Ferraris. But knowing at that point, it was pretty clear I was like, it's going to be a Charles Leclerc weekend at this point because since 2008, when the race returned, every race has been won from pole position. So, Katie, please take it away and tell us how Charles took a good thing and turned it into a nightmare that ruined my Sunday morning croissant moment. Well, happy to. Happy to take it away. <laughs> so glad I could give you something on such a dull note. <laughs> so, so can't wait to ruin everybody's day yet again listening to how Charles fucked it all up but it's fine this podcast is brought to you by racing thread formula one clothing for any occasion their clothing features subtle evocative embroidered designs of your favorite f1 moments from ricardo's monza shoey to sebastian's australian scooter ride from Lewis's Brazilian comeback to a Carlando round of golf. Whether you're out to dinner with friends, watching the race at home, or cheering in the grandstands. Gone are the embarrassing sponsor logos. Instead, Racing Thread is F1 clothing you're comfortable wearing anywhere. Right now, Dirty Driving listeners can get 15% off Racing Thread's entire range of t-shirts, sweatshirts, and polos using the code DIRTYDRIVING. That's Dirty Driving, all capitals, no spaces, for 15% off their entire clothing range. Head over to RacingThread.com to shop F1 Racewear for anywhere. It's fine. We'll jump in. It's annoying. It's annoying. It's annoying. It's it's exhausting. But we're going to get into that because it was lights out and away we went at Paul Ricard. Also, I have a bucket hat update before I really jump in. I've put my email in to notify me when they become available. What's crazy is they were available I've also, yesterday. I should have just I, ordered one. Why did you tell me that? Moving on. Okay, moving on. I'm misty now. Okay, it's fine. Leclerc. <laughs> okay, sorry. We have, to little... get, we have to stop no, getting misty. It. Misty. Okay. She is... Update, she is literally frantic and slightly shaking. If anyone is like, interested in what's currently I'm, happening. All right, I'm fine. I got it out. Hopefully no one watches this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which they you can will because it's me in know. a Red Bull racing shirt. Like, I feel like the people are going to be like, she's supporting Red Bull. The it's evil time. empire, Senator Palpatine himself. I never support him. Katie, talk to us about the Grand Prix. Save me. Um, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in. I'm going to save you. Okay, so Charles Leclerc reacted very well, holding the lead for Max Verstappen. Hamilton was alongside Perez and overtook him on turn one. And Russell was all over the back of Perez. But as he made a move, Alonzo got through. I was very impressed by Alonzo. And, you know, he's he made some good grounds this week. Number one. He also had one of the greatest radio messages. What? Which one was it? Where he was like, they were talking about the McLarens being up behind him. He's like, yeah, I know. Let's let them ruin their tires. I was like. Yes. 
Yes. I, Fernando yes. with the snipe. Ooh, hot mama. He's he is now in his villain era. He is in his villain era, and he has now completed the most laps ever, I believe. I wrote that down of any driver later yes. in our notes of any driver. Yeah. So he's just using his veteran status to fuck up the McLaren. So whatever. Okay. Let's see how many times we get off track. <laughs> Sonoda spun spun at turn eight after contact with Ocon, and Sonoda dropped to the back of the pack. After replays, we could see that Ocon got a bit of an understeer after hitting the curb and veered into the Alphatari. So he actually received a five-second penalty for causing a collision. So going into lap two, we saw Leclerc, Verstappen, Hamilton, Perez, Alonso, Russell, and Norris leading us in the top seven. We saw K-Mag pit in lap nine, which was an aggressive approach to a two-stop strategy. And then Max popped into the pits on lap 16th, dropping back to seventh, a whole 27 seconds behind Leclerc in Elite. Here it comes. Everybody prepare. Get your tissues. I literally am just like, let's do it. (laughs) Then in lap 18, it all came crumbling down. No scream Charles Leclerc as he lost control and ran into the barriers at turn 11 he was a very unhappy man with maybe some throttle issues but uh, at the end of the race he confessed and said it was my mistake it was my fault it's all on me and I don't know if I should deserve to win the championship with a mistake like that that's not a direct quote, but it's something like that. <laughs> That's not the direct quote, but I would like to point out that I just had a thought immediately as you were. You had a thought? As you were, I had a thought. I have them occasionally. As you were doing the impersonation of the no, it gave me like yeah. flashbacks to the desperation and total wolf being like, no, Michael, oh, no. Michael, no. <laughs> it's the same like. So, so Charles was the, it, it, it had like the same like undertone of like desperation, right? So like both, like, yes, Toto said more words and, and Charles was more like, ah! but they had the same like depth in them. That's just like your heart just breaks. Like, it's like watching something happen in slow mo- motion, like a glass with a perfectly made cocktail falling off the table and shattering. Like, Sad. It's my new favorite sound sadness. effect. Sadness. Darkness, my old friend. Anyway. Hello, darkness, my old friend. The safety car comes out, and everyone dives into the pits. And we had maybe one, maybe two unsafe releases. But before we get into the drama of that, Megan, I'm going to circle back to Charles just for a Jesus. second. We don't have to stay here long, but we need to talk about it. What is up with him for the rest of the season? He said that quote about how he doesn't deserve to win the championship if he's making mistakes like this. So here's the tough question. Does he deserve to win the championship? Not right now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No. Full stop. No. Maybe this is the fact that I'm very much jaded by a lot of Lewis Hamilton victories that are 
essentially the result of seasons where he had near perfect races. Not all the time, but he, I mean, he made mistakes, but like Charles made the mistake in Imola. He's made the mistake here. You're racing Max Verstappen, who for better or for worse, I'm about to compliment him. He is consistent and he can hold his shit together in high pressure moments. And so if Charles Leclerc can't do that, he's fucked. And honestly, look, here's the hot tea. Ferrari, you need to pull your fucking heads out of your asses. You need to start thinking like racers. You've got to take risks. The fact that you pitted Carlos Sainz, I'm sorry, we're getting ahead. I'm livid. Look. Bonato is out here just straight up hyping Charles while in the back room he's wagging his finger in his face. He's out here like to the press. He's a great driver. Great performance. It'll be okay. We all make mistakes. And in the back room, Matteo's probably like throwing spaghetti at him. Like, how dare you ruin the race? Like, here's like throwing meatballs everywhere is what I imagine. An angry Italian man livid throwing pasta is my interpretation of meatballs. (laughs) That is what you picture. I just feel like he had this moment after the race where he was like throwing Italian food in the Ferrari motorhome. Livid. He just reaches into the buffet pan of meatballs. How many meatballs do you think he throws at him at one time? Does he get a handful? Does he go one by one? I think we're going five. Five and five one time. meatballs in one Or hand. like Buddy the Elf action. Yeah. Like really Ooh. quickly. I don't know. I just imagine this moment in the Ferrari motorhome where there's essentially like an angry Matteo Bonato like throwing pasta because I know that they have a pasta buffet in the motor. And they're like they have Ferrari to. hospitality. They're so I, I that's what I picture. And look, I feel like Charles Leclerc deserves it after this. And he really needs to pull his head out of his ass. I saw a compilation. I was able to pull it up in time of potential points lost for Leclerc in 2022. So what we've got seven in Imola and 25 here. No total of 78, 25 here, 18 in Baku, 25 in Spanish GP. They're including mechanical failures. 10 oh. at Emilia Romagna. Oh, it was 10. Spun while running second, finished sixth. So, like, here's the deal. He had, I felt like he had his confidence back, and then he lost it, and then he lost it, and then he lost it, and then he dropped it, and then he did this with it and just got rid of it. And now we've got this, like, making mistakes like the one he made on Sunday, Charles, back. And really, Max Verstappen is sitting with a f- phenomenal lead. He's what, 68 points 63. Up now? 63. 63. Three and eights are 63. the same in my brain. 63, 63 points lead. Unless Red Bull shits the bed with multiple DNFs for Max, it's his. There's a lot of season left. I will say that 63 is not as comfortable as, you know, Maybe he wants, but shit, it's looking pretty good. The hot, the hot, dirty take I'm going to throw out here is, so Verstappen won in Imola. 
Charles won in Austria. How insane would it be if Ferrari wins in Zandvoort and Verstappen wins in Monza? Like, I feel like I to s- complete the trifecta of this, because Zandvoort is much more geared towards a the Ferrari, Ferrari track. And Monza is like, I swear, like, Max Verstappen's just going to spaceship. Like, he's just going to be rocketing away and everyone's going to be like, well, he's four laps up. It's cash. Moving on with our day. Yeah. Mm, I, I, I get, it would I, be the perfect, mm, like, I think it would be the perfect give and take kind of summary mm-hmm. of the season if that was what had happened. I like that. Okay. Back into the drama because we got a lot more to go through. <laughs> Carlos Sainz ended up receiving a five second penalty for an unsafe release during the pit stop rush. Uh, he, the back, damn, I had the word in my head and then I just lost it. The back lift. Help me, Megan. <laughs> you're demonstrating something that I don't understand what you're talking jack. about. Jack. The back jack got caught. That's what I was trying to say. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for your help, Megan. Um, I offer no help, no support on that. The back jack got jacks. caught, and then he got released right in front of the Williams, I believe. Yeah, I think it was Alba. And there could have been an incident. Luckily, there wasn't, but he did get five seconds, which ended up, we'll get into that in a minute. But he currently sits in seventh all the way up from 19th after that pit stop rush. So thoroughly impressed with how what he has shown us thus far in the race. And then before I keep going with, you know, the rundown, I have to, I just threw all of these together because there were a lot of them. But we had a lot of clips, like clipping each other, which led to DNFs. So... Sonoda actually ended up officially retiring in lap 22 thanks to the damage he sustained in the lap one run-in with Ocon. And then Zhao drifted slightly wide and clipped Schumacher as Zhao lost the rear. Schumacher spun and Zhao received a five-second penalty for causing a collision and eventually, I'll get into it, but he eventually DNF'd. And then in lap 39, Magnuson and Latifi had a run-in. With Magnuson coming back to the pits and Latifi spinning out. Huge shocker. Latifi spun. He's a new Mazepin. And I'm going to pause here again and ask you yet again another difficult question. It's not a difficult question because I know what you're going to say. But we've got to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want him an F1. Moving on. Oh, okay, great. She knew what I was going to ask. Latifi. I li- don't Beautiful. want him here. I don't think he's a good driver. He just, I'm tired he of his shenanigans. Just- he doesn't deserve to be here anymore. Sorry. That's just it. He's Glad annoying, and I fully am convinced that Joss Capito only kept him because they both like Nutella. Yeah, or the If money, you want to know why I think that, watch the livery. Reveal. The, what you, the re- reveal announcement. Yeah. Announcement, yeah. Hard. One of the two. Whatever. Okay, so Gasly had a poor showing at his home race. At one point, he ran off the track. Weave through the bollards. We saw his parents. That was exciting. Um, I think that was like the most exciting part of the race for him was seeing his parents on the screen. That's all I got to say about that one. And yeah, so great. Moving on. As things stand, Verstappen is in the lead ahead of Hamilton and Perez while Sainz is showing some nice moves to get around George, landing himself in fourth. Sainz 
outdid himself with the tires that were starting to degrade. You could see this ribbon on the inner front. Right. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Had to put my left and my left up. Uh, or my left and my right up. <laughs> and simply outdid himself. He was able to get into the DRS zone behind Sergio in third. And we just saw brilliant driving from him. But however, as Megan mentioned, we saw very poor strategy from Ferrari. It's like they weren't even watching the race because it's lap 42 and Sainz and Perez are side by side down the main straight, duking it out, battling it out. I'm on the edge of my seat. Who's it going to be? And the team, the Ferrari team, is trying to radio Sainz to let him know that he can come in to pit in the middle of an overtake. And Sainz was like, not right now. Katie, it's fine. They were all even pasta at the buffet. They're clearly. They clearly, clearly weren't watching all... the race. I was going to say something foul and inappropriate, but I held it in because. They were eating the pasta. Foul. But they were eating the pasta and they were shoving the meatballs wherever you can shove them and they weren't watching what was going on. And I'm pissed. I'm over it. The kid that got shown on the TV screen that has now been posted a couple times by F1 and ESPN and all of that, who slams his hat against the fence and then just puts his head down, we all felt that, sir. We all felt that. Bonato should send him some pasta. Bonato should send him a car, a Ferrari. He should send all of us a Ferrari for that. Yeah, he should send all of us a Ferrari. At least a I gift card. At least a Paul Ricard <laughs> bucket hat. <laughs> okay, sorry. I'm really She's obsessed about that bucket hat. Back. I need it. Okay. Where was I? Where was I? Where was I? So, yeah, he's trying to pull off this great move, and he eventually does after he tells his team to shut up and lands himself in third. So, unfortunately, then he goes in and pits, and he loses the battle, pits on lap 43. He comes back in ninth. He ended up recovering to fifth for some nice points, but he knew that he could have done more out there, and he knew that the ending could have been better for him. And so, yet again, we are stuck with Charles Leclerc fucking up and Ferrari making horrible, horrible, horrible strategy calls. We love Ferrari. We love being their fans. Okay, highlight of the race, thanks to the TV direction, was the battle between George Russell and Sergio Perez. And Russell managed to catch up and made a move down the inside of turn eight. They made contact. Perez cuts to the chicane as a result and emerges ahead. Russell was very vocal about Perez not giving the spot back, so much so that Toto came on the radio not once but twice, telling George that he could do it. He needed to stop complaining that he could do it. He could he could make it happen. But George clearly wanted it, and guess what? He did it. He did it. I could not believe we were watching a potential double podium for Merck, but he did it, and he made my day. Georgie made my day. It's lap 48, and Perez is struggling for grip, running wide in turn 11. And then, Guan Yu, we need to send him a thank you note. Causes a, v- a virtual safety car, VSC, and DNFs. And on the restart, Russell slows. Like, I imagine Jasmine, the cat that I have, that's Megan's cat that I'm borrowing, when she's about to prance or pounce on the t- 
string that I'm flicking around comes back on the restart and just pounces Perez and gets ahead, taking back the last podium spot. And replay showed that he just absolutely floored it at the exact moment the VSC ended, and it was almost as if Perez was standing still. It was this warm moment of joy. Well, we, I mean, we now know that the FAA kind of fucked Perez. Because he was told that it was going to end on turn nine, then he slowed. It It was like a, a coming together of perfect moments for George Russell and a coming together of like the worst possible scenario for Checo. Yeah. I do think that even if that wouldn't have happened, inevitably George would have gotten around him. Yeah, hands down. Hands so yeah, down. it's shitty. Don't get me wrong. It's shitty that the system didn't work. It had to be rebooted and the message had to be resent saying it was going to end on turn 13. So yes, that's very unfortunate, but ultimately this would be the results if that hadn't happened. Checo might be the minister of defense, but he didn't really have much to defend with. No. Anyway, Georgie made my day. It was good. I was fine with it. Sad for Checo, but I'd rather mark double podium than a Red Bull double podium. Yep, I just said that. There you go. That is my Mark shout out. All right. Our the leader. The roles have been reversed. The roles have been reversed. Our leader, Max Verstappen, crossed the finish line to take his 27th win, followed by Lewis Hamilton in second, his best finish this year, and George in third, again, making it a double mark podium. So there was one last moment battle between the Aston Martins. Vettel and Stroll got a little spicy with each other. There was a moment where... Vettel, I don't know, I didn't go back and watch the replay, I apologize, but I don't know if he actually clipped him or if they just touched or if they just kissed or they didn't touch at all. But we saw Lance hold strong and take the last point position, 10th in the last moments crossing the finish line. And that was the checkered flag. So my first question for you, is Mercedes back? Look, I'm not, I... I, Or am I getting ahead of myself? I decline to comment. Look. It is very clear that Mercedes wanted more pace out of the car this weekend and were intending to have more pace out of the car this weekend with the upgrades that they brought. So it's kind of a small miracle that I would like to say is a gift from the karma of the universe that allowed this to happen. But I do fully think that the one thing that Mercedes have that has kept them prevalent in this conversation about whether or not they're back and outside of their pace is the fact that anytime someone ahead of them shits the bed Charles Leclerc they are there to swoop in and grab podiums and grab points so in terms of who has been like reliably there and present lately Mercedes is winning that against both of the top two teams they beat Checo on pace alone. They out-strategied Ferrari. And really, they hung in there and had... I mean, we never really saw Max or Lewis on screen, but that shows that Max was having a near-perfect race, who got lucky when Carlos, Carlos was out. But Lewis was also having a near-perfect race in terms of, like, not making mistakes and capitalizing when Charles Leclerc was out. I mean... Ultimately, I fully believe that if Charles hadn't hit the wall, it would have been a 
look it would have been a Leclerc Verstappen Hamilton podium. So is Mercedes back? Not fully ready to compete with them on pace. Not fully ready to compete with them in performance, specifically on a Saturday. But they are there to swoop in when the others shit the bed. Amen. So take that for what it is. Okay, Katie, I know I kind of already got ahead of this, but I want to throw it to you to get your thoughts on this. Um, I'd already previously mentioned, like, you know, the Max Verstappen engineers, like it could have been a great race or it could have been a good race. Um, With that being said, I know I just told you what I think would have happened if Carlos hadn't put it in the wall. But what do you think, like, if he hadn't done that, how did you see the race unfolding? Yeah. Uh... Well, I knew that Charles put it in, was out before I started the race, watching the race, because I thought the race was at 9, but it was at 8 our time, so oopsies, started late. Knew he had already fucked it up. But I think previous to me knowing that he wasn't going to fuck it up, I truly thought it was going to be a close call at the end of the race, could have seen the Ferrari crap out, at the end and Max win. I don't necessarily think that Charles wouldn't have buckled under the pressure of having Max on his ass with the high heat and dealing with tire issues. So do you think Max, do you think Max could have done what he did to Lewis last year and, you know, overtaken him at the final stages? Yeah. And the commentators mentioned that a couple times, I think the one difference between Max and Charles, there are a couple, but I think the big one is Max will risk it for the biscuit, and I don't think Charles will. I think Charles risks it and makes mistakes. I don't think... Charles having pole position is good. I think it's better for him to be hungry going into a Sunday and fighting. I mean, if you look at the stats, so I think both of them have 16 pole positions Mm -hmm. and Charles Leclerc has converted that to five wins where Max Verstappen has taken 16 pole positions and he has 27 wins. So I think that the one thing about Charles is that pole position might not be his best starting spot. Yeah, I mean, think about Monica last year. I think there's some, like, undue pressure for him going into a Sunday when he's starting first, even when he gets the better jump. I don't know. That's just kind of supposition from looking at stats. Um, I just don't think he can manage the pressure like Max does, and I think that is his fundamental flaw as a racer. All right, we got to talk about one thing that we haven't really talked about much, mainly because of the TV direction and what we saw, but we have to discuss the midfield and what's going on because Alpine is up to P4 in the constructors, passing McLaren. There was all this hurrah about McLaren being in the points and Daniel finishing in the points two races in a row. And then we've got Pierre and Yuki with 
Alvatari, and then we've got the last minute battle with Stroll and Vettel and Aston Martin. So let's talk about the midfield for a little. Okay. Here's what's going to happen. It's going to be Alpine, McLaren, Alphatari. That's what it's going to be this year. Look, I-, I want the boys in Papaya to be doing better than they are, but they lost to both Al- They lost to both Alpines this weekend. Yeah, they were both in the points, but this was after they brought a whole freaking host of upgrades. They're essentially driving a new McLaren, and they still lost to both Alpines. And I don't know what their strategy is. I think at this point they just say, screw 2022, let's look to 2023. And they admit that they're going to lose the battle to Alpine this year, and they kind of concede that. I know you don't actually do that in reality, but I think there is some kind of just like expecting and knowing that that's going to happen. Alpha Chari, Pierre Gasly needs to pull his shit together. And Yuki Sonoda needs to also pull his shit together. I mean, they're slipping. That's what I got to say. They they are slipping. They are. I've been not mad. I'm not angry. I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed <laughs> in Pierre. And I just DM'd him about the Red Bull thing. And if he DMs me back, just kidding. I would never tell him directly that I was disappointed in him. He'd probably block me. He never liked my Instagram posts. <laughs> I just look. I, I I think that Alphatari has to get their head back into the battle, and I don't know if that happens this year or if it happens next year. We see these glimmers of success from them, but it's like they can't complete a full weekend. They can't put the whole package together for the weekend. And that blows my mind because their sister team, Red Bull, is known for doing that. But really, they haven't been doing that either. So I think it's this like weird dichotomy of what's happening. Um, but ultimately, I think the midfield will zhuzh out to being McLaren, Aston Martin, AlphaTauri. Okay, Katie. Do you want to talk to us about your fantasy existence? Because... Because I'm oh doing God. all right. Oh, my God. I now have a reminder in my phone to fix my team before the weekend because I didn't. I had two drivers. I think one of them was Pierre and one of them was Valtteri. And I fell to 13th place because I didn't fix my team. Me, on the other hand, I'm sitting pretty in fourth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got the most points this weekend. I was the Max Verstappen of the French Grand Prix. I hate that I'm celebrating that. And then in second, we had Kick the Cran as the Lewis Hamilton in P2. And we have Mr. Hawkeye as George Russell, P3, showing up, not paying attention in the press conferences either. Gotta love a George, George Russell moment. I don't want to say that I've accepted defeat because there's still time. But I'm just going to say that I'm definitely the one getting the tattoo. She's the McLaren of the season, and she's just already looking at next year and planning how she's going to come back next year with fantasy. I honestly might be the Ferrari because of my poor strategy. She might be both Ferrari. She might be Ferrari. She might be, oh, you're like a side-by-side milkshake of Ferrari and McLaren. McLaren. (laughs) I clearly can't get it figured out, but whatever. I'll get another tattoo. Let's yeah, let's move on. I placed a few bets this weekend. Safer bets. 
like winning margin and both marks within the points as well as the odds for max on podium were good so i took them so nice easy wins for the weekend can't believe i met i remembered to place bets but i couldn't remember to fix my fantasy team Jeez louise Jeez louise who am i i'm showing literally all my cards tonight this is just like a, a dusting of katie's just like <laughs> poor performance poor performance With that, I think my discussion of the winners and losers is 1,000% starting with the poor performance here. Look, I feel like there could have been this utter duh moment where I could have just gone with the easy, the low-hanging fruit. The easy answer would have been Charles Leclerc. But look, he is the ultimate loser. We've talked about it all race. I feel like I've dragged him. So I was like, look, Megan, you're going to do a different one. You can't go with Charles. I thought about this for a really long time, and ultimately I'm going with Haas. A mm. team we didn't talk about a lot this episode, but I'm mm -mm. fucking annoyed. That's what I'm just going to say. We're throwing the F word out for my annoyance with Gunther. Gunther, you had a yacht last week, and now you're in a dinghy floating out in the middle of the Atlantic. It's shark week, so maybe you're... you're you got some sharks circling you. Also, I don't watch Shark Week. It's weird. I don't know why I brought that up. It was on at the bar today. Um, okay, so here's my reasoning for Haas. Both cars showed pace at times. Seriously impressive pace. I saw you K-Mag in qualifying. I saw you. I saw you Mick Schumacher in qualifying. But unfortunately, it just felt like over the course of the French Grand Prix weekend, they just couldn't make it all happen. Magnussen was into Q3. Schumacher had the pace, but he was like just completely dogged down by that track limits um, infringe it. Ultimately, neither would come home with a points finish, and that would break the two-race two streak of consecutive top 10 double finishes for them, which is weird that I've come to expect a finish in the points for Haas, and when I don't see it, I get peeved. Nonetheless, Magnussen went from P20 to P20, let me go back. The reason I'm saying nonetheless is because at one point, about four laps into the race, I was quite happy because Magnuson had gone from P20 to P13 within the first lap. But then Nicholas Latifi. I just put my middle fingers up to Nicholas Latifi. Nicholas Latifi just showed up and ruined my excitement about Haas. Ultimately, Magnuson would DNF and end the race. No points. Then we had Mick Schumacher, who was struggling he was spun by Zhao, and he would ultimately end P15. Technically, the last car to pass the checkered flag, which just sent me into an utter rage because I've come to expect so much from them. So, Katie, this is kind of my last, like, thought that I wanted you to jump in on here is, like, is it bad that I'm feeling this way when I've so quickly come to, like, expect Haas in the points, at least one of them? Like, last year, we – we knew that they were going to end up in the bottom four, but now I'm like, they should be in the top 10. Is that an unfair expectation for them? Should I like take my annoyance down a notch? Hmm. Is the answer going to be yes or no? Yes. And no. I think it's a yes and a no. I think you need to take it down a notch. Just, Just a one notch. degree. Just one, maybe 1.67 degrees. 
Okay, that's very specific. It's very, yeah, I was feeling that number. Um, but also, no, because for Christ's sakes, like, just do what I know you can do, Haas. Like, it's in, it's within them. And I think they just think that they don't have it within them. But they do. We believe in them. They do. I believe in them. I don't think they believe in themselves. I think they're like, we're Haas. We don't need to do that. We don't need to win. Yes, you do. No, we've come to expect it, so pull your shit together. Pull your shit together. All right, What's your loser. team that needs to pull your shit together? My, yeah, it's Alphatari, which we kind of already touched on, but homeboy Pierre, great performance on Friday, slumped out in Q1 on Saturday, then finished a disappointing 12th at his home race. Again, seeing his parents was the highlight of the race, I believe, for him. Yuki, on the other hand, took his first Q3 appearance since Baku, but then he had that lap one contact with Ocon, so like it's technically not his fault because Ocon was penalized, but could you just like not get in the way or not be involved in things like that? Like I want them to do so well. I love Alphatari. I bought an Alphatari shirt. Pierre Gasly, tell me if the Red Bull has water in it. I will support you until the day I die if you do. But they've gone four races without a point. Yes, four races without a point. And the dreams of achieving P5 might just slip away. They have. Sorry. Hate to break it to you. It's going to be McLaren. I wasn't ready for that. On better days, on better days, I, my winner is Mercedes, which is weird because I'm wearing a Red Bull shirt. Like, I really can't get over this whole vibe. But... I really truthfully think that this was a moment for Mercedes. It was the best performance that Lewis Hamilton has had this year, which is weird to say that P2 is his best performance of the year, but it is what it is this year. It was a solid confidence moment. You could see the excitement radiating in the press conferences from him. And ultimately, we knew that he was never going to challenge Max this weekend, but his race was without incident until the flag, even though he didn't have a drinks bottle, which we didn't learn until the end of the race. And then we actually went on to learn that he never actually uses his drink bottle because he forgets that it's there. So kind of baffling to me that in some of these locales, some of these track temperatures, that even Lewis Hamilton forgets to have some water. I need to explore that more. I wish he would like more talk. I really wish the drivers would actually discuss like their men, like kind of not so much like mentally what happens, but like, are you, are you feeling dehydrated? Are you like, I, I would love to learn more about like who drinks, who doesn't drink, when they drink, why they drink. Do they wait until they're like so dehydrated? that They do like that kind of stamina aspect of being in the car is fascinating to me, but it was really interesting that Lewis, said he doesn't often and didn't have it this race, but really could have used it this race. Um, ultimately, he had a great lap in qualifying. It was a great weekend for Lewis Hamilton, and I think it is um, – it's a moment for Mercedes. It's definitely a high, a high for them. They were the highest finning, finishing constructor. So – George Russell also had a great weekend. He took another podium after he started outside of the top three. He is literally there to sweep up the crumbs when his opponents can't put together a weekend. Yeah, there was that stupid thing with Perez and Toto had to tell him to 
chill out and shut up on the radio, which I understand why he was so hyped up. Like he really wanted that position, but ultimately he's able to use both trickery and a little bit of luck to make that VSC happen and get Perez. So solid weekend for the team in terms of points and terms of results. And I think in the, the general confidence amongst them, they know for a fact that their pace is not up to the standard that they wanted it to be in the standard of, you know, Red Bull and Ferrari. But I think that this is hopefully just half of the upgrades that they promised over this like double header weekend. Um, I would like to point out that two of my favorite moments for the Mercedes boys didn't happen off track. The first was the fact that both of them were in the post-race press conferences having ice lollies. And second was the fact that George Russell is the type of guy that forgets his microphone in the press conference and says like, oh, you like makes this like squeal noise. Like, oh, shit, I'm supposed to be doing something. Like, he literally made this, like, squeal. I can't recreate it, but he literally made a squeal. And it was just this moment where I was like, George Russell is the type of guy to not be paying attention. And then once he realizes he's not paying attention, has been called out, is like, oh, shit. Let me pretend like I'm paying attention. I love it. That's a good one. I like that. We should put it out My winner... My winner was Carlos Sainz. Uh, man's had his best showing. Like, may, okay, maybe not his best showing, but one of his best showings. Back of the grid penalty. Annoyed about that, but, like, everyone takes their turn. And excelled up to third from 19th at one point of the race. And ultimately could have finished on the podium had it not been for his team and that five-second penalty that he had to serve. So... Came back from ninth after that. I know I talked about this earlier and ended fifth. So excellent day for him. And I'm really excited to see what he has to show us next weekend before the summer break because I think he's going to have a fire under his ass after this weekend. I agree. I think he's, uh, I think the chili pepper is fully ripe and ready to be picked, have success. I don't know. That metaphor just, that, that, that was a metaphor. I just don't think it worked. Our honorable mention is Alpine. Alonzo competed, completed, excuse me, the most number of laps any driver midway through the race. So big congrats to him. I know we mentioned that earlier. And as we mentioned earlier, his experience really showed when he baited the McLarens behind him on purpose to hurt their tires before he finished P6, his second top finish of 2022. And also Ocon, precursor to the end of the season, Esteban Ocon may be in my running for honorable mention of the season. I feel like, hear me out, I feel like he's a little underrated this year, but he's been doing a really good job, and I I know we've talked about it a little, but I think we could be talking about him a little bit more, and I'm literally saying this about SC Bestie, who has not always been my SC Bestie. I've never, I've not always liked him. He is kind of silently being very successful and not getting the TV coverage that he probably deserves. I mean, we didn't see him covered at all in Austria, and it was faultless. Yeah. And this was his first ever points at home. So it's a, it was an exciting weekend for him. I'm happy for him. 
They secured double points for Alpine on their home soil and moved the team four points clear of McLaren. So they're up in P4 for the constructors, and it might just be the end for McLaren. On a much happier note, and for the hidden gem for this week, we have Sebastian Vettel. I'm so excited for a Seb hidden gem moment. He seems to be a hidden gem quite often. But this weekend, he drove the 1992 Bamford and Martin TT1, known as Green P, the cutest name for a car ever. I purposely want to have him Aston Martin so I can call it Green P now. I just think it would be cute. But he rode in Green P with former F1 racer Johnny Hubert. Green P was actually one of the two cars that were prepared for the 1922 French Grand Prix at Strasbourg. And Sebastian Vettel, in his perfectly eloquent way, said Green P holds a very special place in Aston Martin's heritage, and you can almost feel that century of history beneath your fingertips when at the wheel. So to this for this weekend, um, it was a wonderful, wonderful moment. It was very fun. I loved the fact that he was dressed up, even in the ridiculously awful heat i already talked about how sweet i thought it was that they covered that a lot of the team were there and could be a part of it as well so a great moment i love historic moments like this a reminder of where formula one started and how far we have come Up next is the Hungarian GP in Budapest at the Hungaro Ring. I think that's my favorite F1 word, the Hungaro Ring. The 70-lap race takes place on Sunday, July 31st for round 13 of the season. Last year, we saw an Esteban Ocon win. Are we looking at an upset with a midfield driver taking P1? Or will it be another weekend dominated by Red Bull and Ferrari? This time, if Charles can keep it on track, maybe we can catch another battle between Max and Charles. Mercedes are in the middle of their best upgrades yet. Haas is bringing their first real upgrade package. And we are waiting for something from Red Bull. Join us next week for our race recap. Thank you so much for listening to another episode. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us at Dirty Driving Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, stay dirty.